Welcome back to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Here we are for the fifth series. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience, engagement, performance, and loyalty. And that's a biggie at a time with budget cuts and the workforce feeling the pinch, including increasing pressure at work. We'll be unpicking how leaders show up and create the right culture for people to thrive. One that enables psychological safety, builds team cohesion, and nurtures mental well-being. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and a psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. I help deal with those challenges and questions that consume headspace. So whether that's knowing how best to support people, reduce overwhelm, or develop better ways of working, I'm your soundboard, problem unpicker, and guide to doing things differently that ultimately increase employee happiness and outcomes. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. I am delighted to be joined by Sonali Kumarakulasinka. Uh, have I said that right? You have said that right. Yes. Yes. I tried really hard. Yes. Uh, who's a people and culture specialist at SK Consulting. And I'm really looking forward to this because our values are so aligned. And it really resonated with me, Sonali, when you said to me once, like one of your best, uh, the best compliments you'd been given was someone saying you put a human, a human back into human resources. And that's what you're all about. And that is something I'm really passionate about, about getting the people bit right we focus on that um and you're someone who's all about empowering people and um enabling people over the processes so really kind of putting the people first within their the, the systems and the processes in which they operate so I thought who better to join me than you to uh, have a conversation about workplace culture and employee engagement um, and and focusing specifically on a couple of tools a couple of um, processes that you have found to be really helpful so I'm looking forward to actually unpicking two specific things that people can go and look at for themselves and say actually we could try this within our teams so before we get into that tell us a bit more about yourself and also just about your journey how you got into way, what you're doing now sure and um, yeah and firstly thank you so much for inviting me because it's it's lovely to have this kind of conversation and as you say I think when we spoke, we've spoken a couple of times now, it was really clear that we did have this values alignment, which is just wonderful. So, um, yep, so my experience started in human resources. Um, so I've been, I, I was in HR for 20 odd years, uh, working in a range of sectors. So I started in telecoms uh, and then I moved into consulting, worked with a range of organizations. Uh, I've also worked in, in biotech and pharma, and I've done a lot of work with not-for-profits. Um, so for me, working in organizations where there's values alignment is really important. Um, and working in organizations where there's a focus on delivering value through people and you know ensuring that there's a people-first approach is, is also really important to me. I mean, clearly, not all organizations are like that. Um, and I think for me, I then decided to actually move out of human resources, which I did um, very recently, because I wanted to uh, to work with those organizations for whom people um, people were really important. 
I love that. It, it really reminds me of when I left teaching, which I only did for three years. And I left teaching because I wanted to work, uh, provide better value for the young people I was working with, which sounded really ironic. It's a bit like if you're working human resources, of course you're looking after people. As a teacher, of course you're looking after uh, children. But actually I wasn't, it wasn't fitting right for me in terms of what I was doing. I wasn't, I disagreed with some of the, the kind of stuff that we're having to do about jumping through hoops for grades and so on. And it's lovely when you have the confidence to say, yeah, I know I'm, you know, this is my job title, but I'm actually going to leave that to, to go and focus on the people who seem to get lost in the, in the heart of it somehow, you know, as, as things change, it's like we get so bogged down with results or processes. We forget the people at the heart of it. Absolutely. And I think for me, I was really conscious that I was able to do things like, for example, um, put together a beautifully packaged redundancy process, which would protect the organisation. And and I thought, well, but is this actually, am I actually doing something that is meaningful? Um, mm. And I think for me, that, that, that was a yeah, I, I kind of realized that I was taking pride in being able to do things well rather than being able to do things that I felt were important. Gosh, that's a brilliant quote, Sonali. Just I think so many people get stuck in that trap of doing things well, or being seen to do things well, rather than is it the right thing? Yeah, and and actually, funnily enough, I think if anything, because I'm a bit of a perfectionist um, or a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> because I think actually wanting to do things perfectly was often getting in the way of doing things that I wanted to do. And also now, and particularly with one of the tools that we're going to talk about, Liberating Structures, um, it's actually about experimenting and and recognising, and, and for me, recognising that it doesn't have to be perfect. And the imperfection actually is sometimes where you get the value. And it takes such a lot of courage for people to be willing to be vulnerable and to take those risks and not to to let go of some of that control, particularly senior people who, uh, even though you know they know about psychological safety and vulnerability and making mistakes and everything, and in theory it's great, but when it comes down when it comes to the crunch, it's like I've, I need to do it like this because I know it works. It's like, well, it might work in one way, but is it work? Is it working the best way? And what about trying something else? I'm not sure how it's going to work. We haven't got time to experiment, or we haven't got time for this, or what if it's my it's my reputation, it's my sense of status. So I'm, I'm well. Let's move on to hearing about liberating structures. Then, um, I, it's a term that a lot of people will not have heard of before. So tell us a little bit about what that is actually about. What does liberating structures mean? Yeah, sure. And actually, for me, it's not a term that I'd heard of until about a year ago. Um, so the one thing I will say at the outset is I'm not an expert in liberating structures. I'm very much a user of them. And I think what's so wonderful about them, and I'll tell you what it is in a minute, is that they're so accessible. So anyone can pick up a liberating structure and use them. So there's a great kind of equality in it. Um, so essentially, liberating structures are a set of um, interaction patterns for group work. Um, so whether it's meetings or workshops or training sessions or any gathering of people, however small or large, liberating structures are a way that 
groups of people can interact so that everyone's voice is heard and so that um, the contribution and expertise and wisdom of, of each individual um, contributes to whatever the focus of the discussion is. Um, so there are a set of 33 liberating structures and there are more in development and they were developed and put together by two people, um, Keith McCandless and Henri Lipmanovich. Um, and there are wonderful, lots of wonderful communities of people who work with liberating structures, which are free to access. So I think it would be great if we could add those into the show notes, because yeah. it is something that, you know, if if someone wanted to go and take part in a liberating structure without knowing anything about it, that's perfectly possible. Um, so. And so those, when you say there are a set of sort of 33, <laughs> What, what do they look like? Are they, um, because I know it's about engaging people and being able to yeah. hear people's voices. So yeah, yeah. tell us a bit more about some of um, how, how those work. Like what, what might people expect if they were looking at one of these 33 liberating structures? Sure. Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, just the term liberating structures sounds, it kind of doesn't sound very accessible, does it? And the irony is that it is so accessible. So if I talk through the simplest of the liberating structures, which is the one that I think, I mean, I probably use this in in nearly every um, group interaction in, in some shape or form, and it's called one, two, four, all. And the way that one, two, four, all works is that you issue your invitations. Your invitation depends on what the purpose of the gathering is. Um, so, um, and, and, and what you do is you, ask people to work individually to start with. So the one is essentially them thinking about that question um, on their own for, and it could be the kind of time boxing can vary depending on on, um, on the complexity of the question and depending on the amount of time that you have. So it could be anything from a minute. I mean, you have one, two, four hours that, that essentially work for a minute or, or they can be longer. Um, so it gives everyone an opportunity to think, and that's brilliant for people who are reflectors and incubators, um, or just in the context of our kind of modern, busy working lives, when people come from another meeting or they come from something else and their heads are full of whatever it is that they've been doing, it gives people an opportunity to just think and reflect on whatever that question is. What happens next is that people work in pairs, so that's the two, um, and they'll share what they've individually um, put down and they'll build on each other's ideas as well. So there's an opportunity in a safe space with just one other person um, to have that, that conversation. Um, and then the four is the two pairs. So you'll get the pairs of pairs join each other um, and again, do the same thing, um, share and build on contributions. So the amount of time generally that you that you would allocate would, would increase to mm. ensure that people have a chance to be heard. And then the all, is where essentially everyone gets together and shares their contributions. So depending on the size of the group, I mean, I've done um, one, two, four alls with as few as six as six people. And in that size of grouping, um, you wouldn't do it as a one, two, four all. You'd do it as a, for example, you could do it as a one, two, three all or a one, three all. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of flexibility and there's um, and there certainly isn't any expectation with liberating structures that they follow that set pattern mm. um, so they're very flexible in in that respect um, 
so yeah i mean i've i've used lib so i've used one two four all in particular in um an employee engagement context i've used it in a strategic planning context i've used it as a as part of the lunch and learn um and that's probably the most accessible structure and what's brilliant about one two four all is that the alternative generally would be either um if there was a discussion about something it would either be a very tightly managed um, interaction. So for example, a presentation followed by the opportunity to ask questions or a very loosely managed interaction, which would be a brainstorm. Mm. The risk with both of those is that with the presentation, you're really only getting one voice being heard with the potential for a few other voices. And with a brainstorm, you're getting either the loudest voice or the most confident voice or the voice of the person who's got positional power. So it's a very equalizing way of having conversations and that's the one thing I really like about the whole approach is how like truly engaging it is for every member of a team and there's people are so much more aware now of you know whether we're talking about neurodiversity or just character differences in terms of I'm just a quieter person or there's the power imbalance or whatever is going on in a group as you say you're never going to get everyone's either their honest contribute well their contribution full stop or mm. just them being as honest as they could be unless it's done in a in a really safe way yeah. and I think it's it as such power to everyone being able to have their voice which is I know the reason you really like it because there are so many or, there are so many decisions made in companies aren't there where leadership say well we've consulted everybody and we know this is the right thing and you, and you think well really how valid is the data that informed that decision did everyone really have their voice? Is what you heard really honest? Um, and, and I think this just kind of gets around all that brilliantly. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think sometimes leaders and managers think that they know what other people think and feel about things. And often they just don't because people either haven't had the space or the opportunity to share their contribution or because sometimes there's a sense that that perhaps the perspective of other people is going to be narrower because they have particular roles. But actually just, just that in itself means that every contribution is likely to be different. And what I find really interesting with liberating structures is that when you put out an invitation and ask a question, the responses you get from people are so different. And that in itself, that kind of diversity um, enables better decision-making, it enables people to feel engaged, to feel their voices are being heard. Um, and it can, if there's real courage within the organization, enable an organization to perhaps take a different path to the one that they were initially envisaging. Mm. And I think I also like, you know, the ethos of liberating structures as a whole in, in the sense that it's so flexible. So, you know, this, whether you're doing one two four all or as you said you could be doing one three all or whatever I like because some people get so precious don't they on the, I've developed this tool and this is exactly how this is a huge manual on exactly how you have to do it and you have to do it word for word and and that's a real turn off it just doesn't fit yeah and when you've got a, a really good tool that is so flexible that it's as you say, it's accessible to everyone. People can have a go and they can play around with it and they can adapt it to fit their particular group so they can personalize it. That makes all the difference. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and I think essentially the way that liberating structures are set up is there are a set of principles that that sit behind it. And 
And I think what those principles mean is that so long as we work with the principles, the variations are actually called riffs. So within um, the, so there's a Liberating Structures app, which we'll put, um, we'll kind of include in the show notes, yes. I hope. Yeah. Which is free, free to access. Um, and it'll describe the structure, but then it also describes other ways of doing it. Mm. And, um, but just so that um, I think it might be quite quite useful to share the 10 principles, which I'm looking at at the moment, because I'm actually mm -hmm. looking at my wall. And they are um, include and unleash everyone, uh, practice deep respect for people and local solutions, build trust as you go, learn by failing forward, practice self-discovery within a group, amplify freedom and responsibility, emphasize possibilities before emphasize possibilities and believe before you see, invite creative destruction to enable innovation, engage in seriously playful curiosity and never start without clear purpose. That you just wanna, like if you had an organization just following those 10 principles, be like huge round of applause, cause that'd be, that'd just drive such awesome practice. Completely, yeah, I, I absolutely agree and I think What's really wonderful about liberating structures as well, and I, I mean, the structure that I described for you is literally the kind of simplest one that anyone can just pick up and do. Um, and there are kind of structures which are far more complex and ones that I've not used. I mean, of the 33, I've either used as, an, as a facilitator or been part of as a participant, probably about 10 or 15 of them. Um, and there are ones that serve really specific purposes. So for example, there's one called EcoCycle Planning, which I actually have used and I, I hacked it and used it in a completely diff different way to which it was originally set up. But the way it's originally set up would be incredibly powerful, which is um, essentially to analyze activities for the purpose of identifying obstacles and identifying um, opportunities to progress. And it uses, um, the cycle of the environment. So it has four stages, which are uh, birth, maturity, creative destruction, and renewal. So those, so that particular structure is used a lot in in um, strategic planning, and in um, I I would imagine in product development, but I'm not sure because I've not used it within that context. Whereas I used it as part of a lunch and learn with a team where we looked at how we could respond to the cost of living crisis. So it was essentially looking at how different individuals within the room who came from very different, you know, I mean, everyone has diff different life circumstances. Um, and we kind of looked at um, individually and then as a group at what people could start doing differently, what they might want to um, stop doing so it's almost the kind of variation of the stop start mm -hmm. continue but it uses a very different frame and I really love the kind of creative destruction piece because that is about um perhaps looking at something you're doing and saying it it worked for me before or it worked for us before but now because of where we are as an organization or as a team we need to do this differently or think about doing this differently so it really does kind of encourage that continuous process of renewal and rethinking which I think is really important for organizational success yeah and I love the fact it's set up as firstly creative destruction and it's intentional because yes. without these kinds of conversations the destruction can just happen anyway and it can be very damaging and I'm just thinking about a number of 
companies I'm working with at the moment where the issue, the, their challenge is that some teams are almost self-destructive. They've mm. you know, things have just they've been it's been really effective in the past and things change. Uh, or maybe things ch- don't change and people are just less tolerant or people are just more aware or there's some there's some catalyst and suddenly it all starts falling down. But of course, it's the feeling then is one of if it's damaging, it's kind of people feel bitter, they feel resentful. Whereas actually, if you can plan opportunities to review and to say, OK, let's let's destruct but in a creative, positive way so that we can renew and build better for the future that is entirely it frames it entirely differently doesn't it yeah com- completely and and i think also what's what's wonderful about it is that not only can it be used within an organizational setting it can also be used by individuals so as an individual you can use for example eco cycle planning to look at where you are in your career and say so what is it that i'm currently doing that i'm enjoying doing what is it that i want to consider doing what do i want to stop doing what do i want to do differently and and again, you can rather than kind of individuals ending up in a situation where, say, five or 10 years down the line, they're thinking, is this really where I want to be? And am I doing what I really want to be doing? They can actually use something like eco-cycle planning to every six months or whatever it is um, mm. to really deliberately review mm. and and also then not get into a situation where perhaps they are out of touch with what's happening within the wider environment so because otherwise what what can happen sometimes is you know um if if for example organizations are making um redundancies you know it might be that someone who's kind of not kept up with um the direction that the organization's going in if that's what they want to do mm-hmm. um perhaps finds themselves in a situation where um where they're more more at risk so I think it just has lots of yeah lots Mm. of different applications and I think like like you say um it is an opportunity to do something very very deliberately which is important uh before we because I'd I'd like to hear about what some of the kind of key observations from um you know in terms of outcomes and just kind of what difference it actually makes um and how you've seen that uh, in in practice are there any other structures that you know you've the, the one two four all is one mm. that is so simple and so accessible and you can use it in pretty much anything you do is there another one that you'd say to people go and go and explore this one because this could make a real difference is there something else you'd recommend yeah so I I love troika consulting um and I love it partly because it's just such a fantastic word. Um, <laughs> you know, when I first came across it, I thought, what on earth is that? So Troika Consulting is um, is is a structure that I really love because I think it's one that enables people to get practical help from others and to get different perspectives from other people very, very quickly. So the way that Troika works is um, in groups of three, each each um trio will have an opportunity to be um, the client or to act as consultants. So the other two would be consultants. So the client would share a problem that they have, a problem that they would like some help with. Um, and what then happens is the client turns their back on the two consultants and the two consultants will discuss the problem. And um, 
and you know ideate sort of come come up with um possibly with suggestions come up with questions come up with kind of thinking and what the client does is listen there's no interaction between the client and the consultants and then after that and i'm oversimplifying how mm. it works but <laughs> um after that the client then turns around and faces the consultants and shares what they found useful and what's really interesting about that is a it's an opportunity to get help very quickly from people who might know nothing about the, the problem that you're sharing what, what also happens though is that it really removes um the risk of the consultants not following through with an idea that perhaps the client might not otherwise have either thought about or felt comfortable with because just that dynamic of um of things like you know raised eyebrows or, mm. or or punched shoulders or you know we kind of we express so much through body language that even without the client being able to say anything if they were facing the consultants the quality of the discussion between the consultants would would be very different um and that's, so that's what I love, that's, how, yeah yeah and that's what I love about this because it really drills down into good communication and yes. we know you know communication is the one thing that emerges from pretty much every organization as it could be better um and people miss the subtleties and this really focuses on how to have good conversations but taking all the subtleties into account the number of meetings that happen or uh, activities that happen which are all the person facilitating often a leader will just have the intention of I need to work out x y and z by the end of the meeting mm. this is what I want to walk away with knowing they don't think about the process at all do they it's just yeah. literally we're going to meet today so we can either just tick off everything on our agenda job done or I've got this particular problem and I just want a solution to it and they don't think people just don't spend time on the how what do we want to what do we want the experience to feel like how do we want people to engage with it what do we you know what's it going to look like and it's almost like well we're just going to ask people they're just going to tell us whereas yeah. this is uh, the subtleties of body language but in terms of actually turning your back on someone so so powerful but so simple yes exactly and I think they've been really carefully thought through and um because actually what 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 you may have picked up on as well is that Troika is very, so there's quite a lot of similarity between Troika and action learning sets. Because action learning sets, again, are about, you know, getting input from other people, getting input from peers. Um, and there's actually another, almost a kind of variation of Troika, which is a separate liberating structure um, in and of itself called Wise Crowds. And um, which I love as well, actually. And Wise Crowds are, um, they they follow a very similar pattern, but it's where you're tapping into the wisdom of the whole group. Um, and again, you do it in cycles. And there's there are opportunities to kind of take part in free um, wise crowd kind of meetups. Um, and again, we can put a link to that um, in in the show notes because I think that's incredibly powerful. And I've I mean I've taken part in one where I just I didn't know anybody there apart from the facilitator who. Um, who I do know, and people came from from organisational settings and and uh, contexts that I just wouldn't otherwise come across. Mm. So their input was just so different to what I would experience if I'd gone and asked 
a group of people within the you know within an organization that I was working in mm. so um yeah they're a really powerful set of techniques and you know you can have whole workshops that are designed using liberating structures because what you do is you put them together in what's called strings um and there's um this, uh, this wonderful app that I think I, I mentioned which is free and which also you know gives people ideas on how you can put strings together so there's there's lots of information out there to enable people to just pick them up and use them and iterate and yeah, oh, well, yeah. Do. have you would you mind just mentioning um I know last time you spoke you you talked briefly about spiral journal mm. and that kind of um grabbed my attention because so many people talk about journals and journaling yeah, yeah. and so I, I'm curious to know because I don't know about spiral journal but whether how, how that works how that looks in comparison yeah, to what other people think of in terms of journals yeah of course yeah and uh, spiral journal another one that I love and funnily enough spiral journal is not one of the 33 liberate, liberating structures um and it's often used as what's called a punctuation. So essentially, it's often used as either um, a way of gathering thoughts um, in the way that you would with journaling um, between a set of activities or perhaps reminding people or enabling people to remind themselves of what they have um, observed and kind of reflected on. So it's essentially an activity to to quieten the mind and you start you start with a piece of a4 paper which you fold into four um and then when you open it out you've obviously got your kind of middle and everyone spends um a minute at drawing a spiral a really really small you know just going from the kind of inside well actually so you can either go from the inside out or i've i've seen other people do it from the outside in mm-hmm. um so you draw this spiral and you really focus on the drawing. And that in and of itself is quite a kind of mindful exercise. It's about sort of emptying your mind and just focusing on that spiral. And then each of the four um, sort of boxes that have been created mm. through folding the piece of paper will have different invitations, which you as a facilitator would would um, would kind of construct depending on the purpose of the activity. So just as an example of where I've used it, um, recently was um, with a senior leadership team as a follow-up to um, a workshop in psychological safety which um, a wider team had been part of and um, we essentially used the spiral journal as a follow-up to that to enable the senior leadership team to look at the feedback and the outputs from the workshop and then identify what they um, would like to do next so the four invitations were um, so the first was, what are your key observations? Um, so what are you noticing in the feedback? Um, the second was, what surprised you? Because I, I really like that question of what surprised you, because it's about looking for the unexpected and, and what's not surprised you, because again, there are things that kind of, that's, that's also useful information. And then the third was, um, what, what, what do you think we should do as a senior leadership team? in terms of next steps. And the fourth was, what would you like to do as an individual leader? Um, and what we did was um, we used the spiral journal alongside one, two, four, all. So essentially I asked everyone to initially um, complete the spiral journal using, you know, sort of doing it on their own and then um, 
essentially we then use the one to four role to discuss to build ideas um to come up with um priority actions and that took 45 minutes and in that yeah so it's really staggering it's such an effective use of time because the number of meetings that people have and 45 minutes later they've gone through a few things that could have done by email and it's all a bit transactional yeah what you would have achieved in that 45 minutes is phenomenal in terms of really shaping a strategy based on feedback from you know based on what people are contributing it's just yeah such a good use of time yeah I mean and I think that's that's the key thing with liberating structures is that generally I mean most of the structures are reasonably short I mean you do have some that are slightly longer and those are inevitably the ones that are more I guess where there's more complexity of information but you can you know so so there are meetups and I'd really if if anyone listening is in Amsterdam and I've never been to one of these yet and I say yet because I'm really hoping to go to one um uh, an organization based in Amsterdam called the Liberators who uh, put out a lot of free content on liberating structures um they hold a, a two-day meetup where you essentially have a an opportunity to practice um lots of liberating structures and I think I can't remember the number that they get through in two days but it's a pretty significant number and actually if you're in the UK um there's an organization in London called Happy who do the same thing but but it's a one day um and I've done theirs online they also do them in person and I think we used about 10 structures so we will um, make sure we put all the links these in the in the ref in the resources the show notes because there's such a lot of value in terms of just following these up um because as you say it's just experiencing makes all the difference so what have you noticed I mean it's interesting the the questions that were coming up from Spiral Journey about sort of what surprised you and what have Mm -hmm. um, you know what have you noticed from using from engaging with liberating structures which um you said you've been doing sort of for the last year what has kind of stood out for you how how have you sort of what have you been surprised by or what have you noticed just in in terms of just going about those conversations using a different approach what what has really stood out so what stood out for me from for me personally is um how easy they've been to use and how powerful they and how powerful they are um and that I can't imagine now going into a group interaction setting and not using a liberating structure just because I think the engagement and the outcomes are so much better. What I've also learned actually from using them is, um, well, it's fine to make mistakes and and it doesn't need to be perfect. And what I've actually done each time is I ask at the end of a session, you know, what went well, what could have, what could I've done differently, or what could we have done differently that would have. Uh, generated a kind of better discussion or better outcome and that I use that to look at what I could do next time and the one thing I've really noticed is knowing particularly when it's in an organizational setting where you know people knowing knowing your audience and this probably applies to kind of everything but knowing your audience is so important so I've used Mm -hmm. it with um, within a setting where there were a number of incubators and people who um I'd say probably quite risk averse and like like certainty. And so for them, actually, I started sharing the invitations before the session. So the questions that we were going to be asking. Whereas in other settings, I've I've worked with people for whom that that doesn't matter. 
So I think really enabling people to feel as comfortable as possible is really important. Um, but sometimes actually you don't want people to feel too comfortable either because mm. you, you want, you kind of want people to be stretched. And um, so it's really that, that balance is, I think, really interesting. Um, but yeah, I'd absolutely, I would recommend liberating structures as a wonderful way of um, engaging people, building trust, um, really kind of tapping into people's curiosity and their wisdom. Uh, and I think, mm. yeah, can't, I have nothing, nothing bad to say about liberation oh, structures. I love that. And, um, and I really liked your observation, Sonali, about the fact that some people will need or benefit from, appreciate a bit of different uh, preparation for it. And you saying that reminds me of uh, something one of my other guests uh, talked about neurodiversity, Mel Francis, said that, you know, when we come to job interviews and so on, people turn up on the day not being able to prepare, not uh, knowing what they're going to be asked. And for some people, that's just so overwhelming that they never perform well, whereas actually they're really awesome at what they do. They just can't perform in that particular environment. And she suggested sharing interview questions with people before they mm-hmm. turn up. And that has such a ripple of responses in terms of well that makes complete sense so the people say well why on earth would you do that because people could just go and prepare too much and you like people you should be able to see through what's genuine and what's not but actually being able to get someone into the right space so that they can thrive in that particular moment they can show and do and be their best rather than all the additional mental noise of anxiety or whatever's going on for them um, so I love that your observation of that. <laughs> yeah, and actually, and and just to respond to to um, to that practice of 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 sharing interview questions in advance, I I think that's a brilliant idea because ultimately I think interviews should be about enabling people to be their best and understanding how people are at their best because mm-hmm. we don't want the organisations to be performing at their worst. So exactly. why would we put them in a position where that might happen? And yeah, that's exactly. Brilliant. So let's turn our attention now to um, the second area that we're going to um, touch on, which is um, an emotional culture tool, um, which is about focusing on culture through a different lens. So tell us a bit more about that, Sonali. I'm using a tool called the Emotional Culture Deck, um, which is um, a deck of cards that's been developed by um, an organisation in New Zealand called Riders and Elephants. And it's it's a really wonderful way of um, enabling teams and organizations and and individuals so I, I use it in one-to-one coaching as well um, to to understand how the kind of culture they want to have within the organization and the basic premise of the tool is that it asks people really simple questions and a really simple invitation is how do I want to feel um, and that's from the individual perspective, or how do we want to feel as a team, um, or for leaders, it's how do we want our people to feel. And because it uses a deck of cards, um, the cards are essentially a third point. So whereas generally speaking, if you were to ask someone, so how do you want to feel? Um, not everyone would be really comfortable with with answering that question. And particularly, I think, because there are still kind of hangovers from this idea that we 
should leave our emotions behind when we go into an organ you know when when we go into work we should leave our emotions at the door which is just ridiculous because we are beings <laughs> with emotions we we <laughs> have emotions and and that's how we you know i mean emotions drive behavior they drive decision making um so it's really kind of um taking this very different lens of emotions rather than um taking the more cognitive approach of values and values obviously really important it's really important to um to i think in organizations to ensure that values are are lived and are authentic um but i think what the emotional culture deck does is it enables people to to kind of tap into how they want to feel and um and that just has a really interesting um that just provides a really interesting lens mm. on then looking at the kinds of behaviors and rituals um and actions that individuals teams and organizations as a whole can take and i think it's, it's such a good point that you've made now in terms of the emotion emotional focus versus the cognitive focus because it's so easy isn't it just to sit around and talk about the principles and how we should be doing things and we all sit around agreeing and nodding our heads so actually yes you know these values we've all agreed these values this is how we're going to now put them into practice and off we trot and theoretically do so but of course no one's taken into account the biggest driver of behavior which is our emotional uh, drive and and it's so easy to try to just forget that ignore it or just think we, just, we can just park it and we can just do what's logical and of course our emotional aspect of our brain part of our brain will always trump the cognition and so yeah. if someone isn't emotionally on board with something they can nod and they can agree and they can recite the best plan ever but it's not going to happen how people yeah. want it to happen yeah. um, and that's the bit that's often missing absolutely and and I think um and I think that ensuring that we know how people want to feel um, enables, kind of actually does does enable leaders and organisations to then look at what's supporting and what's getting in the way of where the organisation's going. And I think that's that's really key because it, it essentially enables change. Um, yeah, and, and, and what I find just really fascinating with this tool which um i've just started using quite quite recently and i've had about i think i've had now just short of 20 conversations so conversations either one-to-one -one conversations or in some cases conversations with two with two people so um for example with a ceo and a deputy ceo and it it really helps to build empathy and to enable people to to kind of move beyond to kind of move beyond any feeling of stuckness they have because often it's not being able to put a label to that emotion which can get in the way of that and what i absolutely love about the deck is that it doesn't define what the emotions are so it doesn't say you know um courage means this it enables individuals to define that for themselves and i know that i've done it with with um with individuals where we've used it in two very different contexts and the word that they've come out with 
they've defined differently depending on the context. So it's incredibly rich, I think, and it can enable really powerful conversations. Um, and I, I mean, I certainly, in my work, I, I, I really believe that conversations are the starting point to change. Um, you know, having really meaningful dialogue um, is is where change happens. And using the right language is it's so important. I think people often forget the the influence of language and simple things like you know, just going back to the point you were making earlier about flexibility you can't have something that's so rigid that this is what we call this particular emotion because yeah. everyone will use different vocabulary and you have to check out you have to use their vocabulary to start with because that's obviously what's meaningful to them and you also have to check out what they mean by certain phrases or certain terms because we automatically attribute our own meaning behind a particular word and actually someone can mean something completely different so that le- the, there's so much I mean, we could have a whole nother conversation about <laughs> use of language and it's like and and you just think it's it's words that people just utter and they just don't give a thought understandably yeah. um often but they don't give a thought to the words they are using and how if they just tweak those slightly and phrase it slightly differently that have so much more impact just want to say for those people who can't see this that I was nodding vigorously to what you were saying a minute ago about (laughs) language because I think that's absolutely key with the deck clearly it's got um a limited number of words in it because you know it's not an infinite deck Mm. however what it does have is space for people to put their own words in because as you say um choosing words that mean something to you are really important and the other thing is that it uses variations of words. For example, it has um, brave and courage, because for some people, the word brave might resonate. For someone else, the word courage might might resonate. And also, the way that the deck's set up, there are um, two sets of cards, black cards and white cards. And the black cards are um, emotions that are more, um, that are more comfortable, and white cards are the ones that perhaps are um are sort of less less desired i guess so mm. desired and undesired feelings um and it's quite interesting that there are three cards that are in both decks um so which are uncomfortable restless and rebellious and again i've had um people choosing those cards as black cards and as white cards because again context is so important each individual's preferences are so important and they mean different things to different people sorry and I was answering a completely no I think it's such a good point to make you know what I was looking yesterday at some um questions that have a part of a survey uh just give some feedback on on the, the language of the questions and it's so interesting because the questions obviously being written to actually covering really really good things are trying to get some really good information and you can see exactly where the author of them is, what they're trying to get at. Mm. But there are so I'm looking at thinking, well, there are so many different ways of interpreting that yeah. word yeah. or that phrase, or um, and it's and it's quite it can be really hard to to even consider the number of different ways of interpreting things. So I like the fact that you have a tool that just starts to enable those kind of more explicit conversations that people are more aware of what they mean themselves or what their Mm. colleagues are thinking and meaning and just to be able to have a bit more clarity around that because it's it's all the stuff that's 
goes unsaid yeah. and and it's just there beneath the surface and it causes so much chaos because people don't know what's really going on and it's all based on assumptions actually if we yeah. just get to that next layer down it's it's just it's so freeing and so empowering in terms of oh, I get it now I know what we're what we're trying to achieve I know why you behaving like that or why you cringe when I say this and yeah get it yeah I absolutely agree and I think it's about us being curious about what what's important to other people you know what's important to the people that that we work with um and also understanding as a starting point what's important to us you know so what what do we what do we value how do we want to feel and how we want to feel in different circumstances is going to be different mm-hmm. um and what does that mean in terms of how how we behave how we'd like others to behave um and then what does that mean in terms of the processes that we put in place in organizations or the practices we have and so I think it's just a very kind of yeah it's very nuanced and it's very layered and I think it is yeah and I think it is really important. So what what difference do you think using these cards makes I mean and is it something that is as accessible and um, engaging and you could sort of adapt to use in sort of day-to-day practice or is it something you'd pull out for a specific cause a specific event or activity that people think that it it would fit to um so in in a number of ways which is what I just love about it um it can be used individually so an individual can literally and I mean I, I I use it myself on a pretty regular basis and I find it um incredibly helpful um so it can be used individually to um, say, for example, um, for an individual to identify how they want to feel about their, about their, from anything, from their career to a project they're about to work on, to a conversation they're about to have, because um, essentially it enables an individual to think through how they want to feel in that situation and how they, and how they don't want to feel, but mm. might from time to time. And that's a really key thing also with with the deck is that it's not about toxic positivity. So the kind of questions are how do you want to feel and how do you not want to feel that might from time to time because we will feel emotions that are less pleasant and it's about how we cope and manage with that um so it can be used in individuals it can be used um obviously in in workshops and there are particular workshops that um that i um run which are essentially team workshops to enable team to enable teams to identify how how they want to feel um it can be used in meetings so for example at the start of a meeting um you know we can ask people to pull out a card to to identify how they want to feel in the meeting it can be used in a retrospective so how we felt in the last you know three months in this phase of our project mm-hmm. it can be used for intention setting it can be used at check-ins it can be used for development planning it can be used in pretty much any situation I think that exists within organizations. So it's very, very powerful. And actually just as an example, I'm using it with a team of mental health first aiders um, next, next month when it's, um, um, uh, yeah, to, to, to kind of enable um, the mental health first aiders to identify how they want to feel when they're supporting other people within the organization. Mm. So it's to help, uh, help their, um, practice and their and a community of practice 
and that's so powerful isn't it because you're you know the questions you're saying referring to just now about you know how do we want to feel and as a leader how do we want our people to feel when I've done work with groups of leaders before I always start off with how do you want to feel as a leader showing up at work and yeah. then what is the reality you know when you get there do you feel like that no way <laughs> this is actually how I end up feeling okay yeah. how do your team f- want to feel they want to feel like that so what do they need from you actually they need me to feel how I want to feel so yeah. you can start to you see the massive disconnect between actually this is what I want to feel this is what people want me to feel as well because then that helps them feel what they need to feel but actually we're, we're showing up in an entirely different way and starting to just have those sorts of conversations means you can get to the start unpicking what's getting in the way um it's just it's just a nice way in isn't it completely and I think also it and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about assumptions it it kind of helps us to stop making assumptions about how we think other people want to feel because actually it can be there can be surprises and Mm -hmm. um and that's really useful and I know you know recently when I worked with um, um a leadership team of two and I did an exercise using the emotional culture deck with them where they individually identified how they wanted to feel as a leader and how they didn't want to feel but might from time to time and they shared with each other and that was a really really powerful exercise because it enabled them to understand what each other needed what was important to each you know to kind of each of them so it really does help to build empathy and understanding um which is yeah which I think is is really key to kind of good healthy massively key let's just underline that (laughs) um and and I remember you saying in terms of you know you're talking about this deck a lot and I remember you saying that actually it's got a bit of a price tag to it but people can download a free version yes yeah which is brilliant And, and again we'll put a link in the show notes to that so um the emotional culture deck you can download it for free and that's the great thing about, I mean, I think the community of um, so we're called elephant riders, um, those mm-hmm. who who are um, who've done the training with riders and elephants. So you can certainly kind of work with an elephant rider to to kind of um, to run a workshop, for example. But you can also down, download the deck. Um, it would involve a bit of a, a kind of a, a blue Peter approach, you know, sort of. <laughs> sort of uh, cutting up the cards but it's a really accessible way of using it and seeing whether it's something that's going to you know work for for you and your team so yeah and just being and just being creative and playing and and that's the thing I love about the 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 two tools processes that you've talked about today Sonali is that they are they are things that people anyone can access and they can use and they can just have a go at and Yeah. That's what I'm really keen because I like these conversations that we have on this podcast to be, you know, for people to be able to take something away and think, actually, I'm going to go and try using that or think about something differently. And it's kind of it's quite practical and it's quite unusual to be able to access such great quality resources uh, in a way that are free and that are just easy to to have a go at without having to go through goodness knows how much training and buying very expensive manuals and and all the rest of it so um, I love that flexibility around it yeah I I absolutely agree and I know that you know the the riders and elephants um you know that they're it's a really generous organization because as you say it's not something that they needed to do you know to kind of make it accessible to anyone 
And I know that it's used in lots of different contexts. It's not just used in an organizational context. It's used in, in families. It's used in schools. Um, so it's a wonderful, you know, tool within an educational setting. And I mean, I've, I've used it with members of my extended family who are, you know, approaching university, approaching A-levels um, to help them to kind of think through decisions that they want to make about their immediate future. And it's, 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 um, I, I think because it's using a set of cards, it's just incredibly engaging. So I've, I, I've actually asked, so after each conversation I've had with people, I asked them to choose two, two cards from the black and the white decks. Um, and they can either choose two black or two white or one of each mm. to describe how they've felt about the session. And you know, every single session has been a positive experience. And there have been, um, you know, I think there's a couple of cards where there have been some white cards chosen, but they've been chosen with black cards and they've been chosen partly because I think it it kind of enabled people to to understand something about themselves, which is really useful. Um, so yeah, it's mm -hmm. the it's a really really interesting wonderful tool actually and for me it's it's really transformed my practice mm. because until then I mean I've done workshops on you know values and I think values are hugely important but for me there was something missing and this is what was missing. So it might sound a really obvious question but what takeaways should leaders lead this podcast with in terms of you know what what are the things that you'd like to see them going and doing differently as a result of listening to this conversation um so i think the takeaways i would love for leaders to to take away are um recognizing the importance of emotions in organizations and being courageous um and enabling people to have those conversations in in a way that's very safe. Um, I think focusing on the quality of conversations, you know, and the quality of dialogue within organisations, I think that's really important. And and trusting and trusting that that everyone in an organisation has has something valuable mm. to to bring. Um, and that actually for me, and this is again another conversation we could have another time, is I, I'm really interested in leadership rather than leaders, because I think leadership is about enabling um, leadership in everyone. I mean, we all have leadership potential. And I don't mean leadership potential in terms of positional leadership, you know, in terms of a yeah. leadership position. But we all have potential to contribute to mm. The direction of an organization and how we do things and mm. um, solutions to problems or solutions to opportunities mm. and the and what you've described today certainly provides the opportunity for everyone to be involved in that that has been such an awesome conversation Sonali I want to finish with a blind question that uh, another of my guests John Hibbs of Coefficients provided um, which actually, I think it's a typical John's three parts to it. But, <laughs> okay. but the, the first one's the easiest. How many siblings do you have? None. None. Yeah. Okay. So his second question was going to be, where do you sit in that sequence? 
So <laughs> you are the one and only. And his third part were is were there any particular challenges that you experienced as a child? And if so, how did you overcome them? So I guess it's a bit about how you are as an individual in terms of shaping you and who you are today. Okay. Um, yeah, so my, my childhood was peripatetic. So I grew up in Sri Lanka. Well, no, I was born in Sri Lanka, uh, went to school in India, into Pakistan, lived in uh, the States, Switzerland and the UK. So um, the challenge for me was, I would say, was getting to know people mm. because uh, we were, because we moved around a lot. I think it's something I've only overcome in my later life. <laughs> so it's, mm. um, I, because it, it was hard. It was really hard um, being in different cultural contexts and endlessly being the new person so I suppose I'm going to answer the question in a slightly different way and say if if the schools had used liberating structures um that might have helped me to overcome that that problem but um yeah, yeah. and I think you know what that's a, it's a that's a really good message to to share in terms of you think about the the movement around the world at the moment of people um and you know I just think about our local primary school has always got uh lots of new people coming in uh refugees and so on and actually just to have have ways of conversing and communicating um in a different way would just be really powerful and Mm -hmm. and probably very very helpful to those individuals as well as the rest of that school community so thank you so much Sonali I have loved chatting to you I'm actually just going to give you a little round of applause as well because this is your first podcast appearance and I think you have nailed it (laughs) I have I have really enjoyed talking with you I have learned so much I've I've liked listening to your practical applications and you know without a doubt people will be able to hear what you've described today and just go away and just go right I'm going to go and try and have my next meeting differently and that's the that's the power of these kinds of conversations so I'm really grateful for your time today thank you so very much oh thank you so much Lisa it's been lovely speaking to you and uh yeah and I would be delighted if people were to go away and try and uh try out a liberating structure or the emotional culture deck thank you for joining me on the beyond the water cooler podcast What's the one thing you will take away from this conversation to think about or do differently? I'd love you to join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. The link to sign up is in the show notes. I hope this episode has got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to the people you work with and how well you and those around you are engaging and thriving. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this episode. Or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. Email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the notes. Before next time, please give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. Let's spread the messages far and wide. Bye for now.